morning, everyone. So I am sort of getting to be like a kid that knows that Christmas is coming and I'm counting down the days. I don't know if you're that excited, but I am excited this year. So um, in terms of Christmas this year, you know that it falls on Sunday morning. So there was a decision made that there's going to be an evening service for Christmas evening Eve at 7 o'clock, and then there will be no Christmas morning service. So we will have worshipped together on Christmas Eve, and Christmas morning go right to your stockings, okay? <laughs> yeah. So um, Thursday is prayer, and we'll have that in the bulletin next week as a reminder, but just to start setting that in. Uh, Thursday is prayer and potluck this uh, the coming Thursday, and um, this coming Friday is the 16th, which is the long-awaited and much-spoken-of harp concert. We're looking forward to it. I've invited neighbors and and people in my class and all manner of people. So invite your friends, invite your neighbors. We're going to have room for everybody that you invite. Don't hesitate to get your families here, and we'll have cookies uh, afterwards, cookies and coffee and such, okay? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do uh, praise and thank you for this very day. We are so grateful uh, for your love and your care of us. We thank you for the time of year that we have to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the emptying of himself, of all of his God nature, and coming to dwell amongst us and to dwell amongst us as a frail human and to experience our temptations and all of the things that we experienced as we experience as frail humans and in that way to have been tempted even as we are tempted and to care for people and love for people love people so thank you lord for this time of the year and we thank you for those who are here today we ask your blessing here and that you continue to um, bind us together to serve and love you in Jesus' name, amen. his name. God also, given him the name that is above every name. More than 2,000 years ago, on a night the world has come to call Christmas, a young Jewish maiden went through the experience countless mothers have had before her. She brought forth a child. This birth was like no other in the history of the human race. For one thing, this child had no human father. As the angel had promised, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. In the humble obedience, the Virgin Mary responded, let it be me according to your word. But this birth was like no other because the one who was born. This was no ordinary child. This was the unique son of God sent from heaven to save us from our sins. 
Amid the glitter and the busyness of the season, don't lose sight of the miracle of that first Christmas. With the first of the wise men, they fell down and they worshiped him. And the hope for today, Christ came with a mission. The cradle was always about the cross. God came in flesh to save his people and that nothing was going to stop him. If that doesn't inspire us to awe, we don't understand Christmas. Um, I do want to share with you a, a verse of a song I heard years ago. And if I could just have you close your eyes, and as I read this, try to visualize that. On the night Christ was born, just before break of morn, as the stars in the sky were fading, or the place where Jesus lay, fell a shadow cold and gray of a cross that would humble a king. Let us worship.
brother-in-law used to tell me when I was a kid, Bobby, straighten up and fly right. <laughs> this is a Proverbs 4, 20 through 27 is a short list of walking in the Lord. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. It's a good prayer also. Would you like to stand and join me with the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The first Noel.
our New Testament reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 14. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him that what you have heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor, and tell him God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go to into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of, the, of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. If you join me in the responsive reading, hope beyond all human hope, compromised descendants of as numerous as the stars. To old Abraham and barren Sarah, you promised light and salvation. In the midst of darkness and despair, you promised redemption to a world that will not listen. Gather us to yourself in tenderness. Open our ears to listen to your word. And teach us to live faithfully. People confident in the fulfillment of your promises. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you are the creator of all. The creator of more than we can imagine. We learn more and we see more probably every day. But it still was all created by you. And so all belongs to you. You have graciously allowed us to share in that, in your creation. And we are beings that need to make sure that we study you, we follow you, we take to heart your words, and that they become instinctive to us as we move through our very day. So, and Lord, we ask that the gifts that we give back are given with an open heart, 
and with the, with the knowledge that you will be guiding us in their use. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed in the reading that Wayne J just gave us from Matthew 11 that Jesus is reciting Isaiah 61? But have you noticed he left out the prisoners will be freed? I'm sure John noticed this. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me daily. Take up your cross means there's a price to pay to follow Jesus. The question this morning, are we willing to pay that price? John 1.14 from the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like to uh, quote Max Licato. He said, Jesus is our next door Savior. I was leading a men's Bible study in uh, North Dakota and we were studying this verse and I pointed out to them that in the Greek, moved into the neighborhood or dwelled among us, that phrase in Greek is literally, God pitched a tent. And I was trying to get the gentlemen in this group to picture Christ being next door. And I said, imagine this. Christ has pitched a tent in your backyard. And every evening, just before the sun sets, he comes and knocks on your door and quotes you Revelation 3.20. Behold, I knock on your door, the door of your heart. If you hear me, will you open the door and let me in? I'll come in and we will have supper together. There was a, a salty old farmer seated around the table with us. And he, uh, he looked me right in the eye and he said, Ray, if Jesus pitches a tent in my backyard in the middle of a North Dakota winter, one thing's certain, he won't stay long. I said, Terry, if he were man, he would not stay long, but he's Jesus. I'd like to read you a quote from Eugene Peterson. The purpose of salvation is not to refine us into pure and ethereal spirits who have no need of flesh. We are not Gnostics. We are not angels, nor has God destined us to become angels. The word did not become a good idea a moral aspiration. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory. We are commanded by the Lord Jesus to remember his sacrifice, 
in the sacrament of the altar by partaking of the sacrifice of, excuse me, by partaking of the bread and the wine, which are acts of eating and drinking. These are actions of the flesh. Things of the flesh matter because our flesh is holy. Our flesh has been redeemed and is now the temple of the Most High God. Show us slide number one, if you would, please. And let's pray. Father, we are gathered here this morning for the purpose of Christ-likeness, for the purpose of being conformed to your will, for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus. We can't do that without your help, without the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives, renewing our minds, cleansing our hearts, ridding us of our self-centeredness. Make it so, Father. And remind us that you love each one of us as we are, not as we should be. For none of us is as he or she should be. So, Lord God, remove our hearts of stone and give us new hearts, hearts of flesh and spirit that are tuned to you and your will. And, Father, I ask that you anoint every word spoken from this pulpit today. Grant that every word, every thought is spoken through the unction of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. My sermon title this morning is Bloodline. You'll note uh, a genealogy behind me. I want us to take a long look at the validity of Christ's claim to be the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world, particularly at his birthright and pedigree as recorded in God's holy word. We will start with the Pharisees refuting Jesus' claim to be Messiah, refuting his lineage in John chapter 8. Show us slide 2, if you would, please. John 8, 21 through 41 from the NLT. Later Jesus said to them, I am going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot go where I am going. Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. I wonder if you've ever noticed in your Bible the I am here is capitalized. It is the name of God. Jesus is speaking in the power of his name, I am. The fact that Jesus is incorporating his name in this statement is a judgment against those to whom he is speaking. Show us slide three, please. Continuing in verse 25, who are you, they demanded. Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. 
For I say only what I have heard from above, from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. This is Isaiah's prophecy. Having ears to hear, they will not hear. Having eyes to see, they will not see. Having minds to comprehend, they will not comprehend. Having ears to hear, they will not hear. Having eyes to see, they will not see. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. Once again, He uses His name. Call it a play on words. I am He. Compare this to Jesus in John 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the temple guards come to arrest him. They ask, which of you is Jesus? And Jesus, in answering them, quotes his name. I am he. And they fell backward. They fell to the ground. The power of Jesus' name. I do nothing of my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He is not, he has not deserted me. For always do I do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. The power of Jesus' name. Your heart has to be open to the truth before you can hear the truth. And it is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. Here we see his name, his power rescuing some and condemning others. Show us slide four, please. Continuing in verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. How many people do you know that quote this and they have no idea who said it? I was working as a uh, contract consultant to Frito-Lay and there's a very intelligent engineer who was running the whole program. Uh, We were contracted to build several distribution centers for Frito-Lay and several warehouses. And uh, I remember distinctly one meeting we had Somehow the uh, conversation edged toward truth, and he uh, burst forth almost in song. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I said, Paul, you know who's 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 quote? You're quoting somebody, but do you know who? No, I I don't. I said Jesus Christ. He almost fell over. This word, know, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the Greek, that word is gnosko. Listen to the uh, definition from the Greek. To perceive, to understand, to recognize, to gain knowledge, to realize, to come to know. Gnosko is the knowledge that has an inception a progress, and then attainment. It's alive. It's progressive. It has an inception, a progress, 
and a fulfillment in attaining. It is the recognition of truth by personal experience. The Word will come alive in your heart and life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who knows? But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So the son sets you free. And when the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. Show us slide five, please. Verse 37 and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with the Father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. You realize what they're saying here. This is a slam against Jesus in saying we're not illegitimate, but you are. We know who your daddy is, and we know you were born out of wedlock, you're illegitimate. John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God created everything through him, Jesus, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Who was there at the beginning of mankind? Who created Jesus. He created every bloodline, established every family from Adam onward, and then stepped into the timeline of humanity as the second Adam. Do we understand that? The second Adam. Adam propagated the human race. Jesus created a new genesis, a recreation of mankind. Jesus has given mankind a second chance at the Garden of Eden. Through Christ, we can walk and talk with God in the cool of the evening every day. The Eden of the Holy Spirit of the Lord God. Show slide six. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 49. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, 
the second Adam, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly men, and heavenly people are like heavenly men. Just as we are now like the earthly man Adam, we will someday be heavenly men, like our Jesus Christ. God was silent for 400 years before the birth of Many consider that he's been silent for the past 2,000. I'd like to quote you Alistair Begg. To believe in God does not add anything to his glory. To refuse to believe in God takes nothing away. He will return in glory whether we believe it or not. But for those who say, but Jesus was not the son of Joseph, so how can you say Jesus was of the bloodline of David? Jesus created every bloodline there is. He spoke the Jewish race into existence. He propagated it. So how could Jesus not be of David? David was most certainly of him. Let's look at Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David. Show us slide number seven. And I will abbreviate this. Matthew 1, verse 1 through 17. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob of Judah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. This is most unusual for a Jewish pedigree to list women. But take note. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron of, of Ram, Ram, Amenadab, Amenadab, Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Take note. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, Abijah, Abijah, Asa. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Jehoram, Josiah, Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz, Kiah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin, and his brothers who were born in the exile to Babylon. Take note of that. Show us slide number eight. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Abayud, Abayud, Eliakim, Eliakim, Azor, Azor, Zadok, Zadok, Achim, Achim was the father of Eliud, Eliud, Eliezer, Eliezer, Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah, and all those listed above include 14 generations. 
from Abraham to David and 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile. 14 from the Babylonian exile to Messiah. Here's an interesting note. In the Hebrew language, every letter in the alphabet has a numerical value. What do you think the numerical value of the name David is? You guessed it, 14. God is in the details. Matthew's genealogy validates Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David and the fulfillment of God's promise to David, which is recorded in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. How could this prophecy be fulfilled in anyone other than Jesus Christ? David's throne has been empty for the past 2,500 years. So how could this promise be fulfilled other than in Jesus Christ? I was studying this and uh, I googled and the question was uh, who succeeded David, uh, David's throne and how long has that throne been empty and there was only one answer and it was from a Jewish rabbi. He said well you know during the Babylonian exile they appointed descendants of David to uh, oversee to to shepherd the children while they were in exile. And I thought to myself, okay. But he wasn't a king. And uh, he said, uh, on up to like 500 A.D., there were rabbis from the, the lineage of David that uh, ministered to various groups of Jews. And I thought again, but were they kings? Did they sit on the throne to David? No, sir, they did not. Only Jesus fulfills this prophecy. Father God has specified in his holy word how he has continued the bloodline of David. So there's no need to question it, but we should study it. We should know it. Consider this. In Jesus' day, most Jewish pedigrees were like a resume. They left out all the undesirable facts. And they left out women. But Matthew includes both, even the women who were undesirable. Four women are included in Matthew's genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Tamar committed incest with her father-in-law. Rahab was a harlot. Bathsheba was an adulteress. Only Ruth was as pure as the driven snow. Why did the Holy Spirit direct Matthew to include these women in Jesus' genealogy? Because Jesus died for all. He died for sinners. Notorious sinners. Decadent sinners. Rahab was not only a prostitute, she was a Gentile. Most Jews would say that genealogy ends there. She was a Gentile. 
Christ died for all. He wanted the outcasts and the disreputable included in his bloodline to prove the fact that he loves all mankind. Now let's consider Luke's account of the genealogy of Jesus, which confirms Mary's bloodline. Isn't this interesting? At this time, the Jews didn't care who the women were in the bloodline. And Luke documents Mary's bloodline. Mary was also of the tribe of Judah. She was descended from David's son, Nathan. Luke takes Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam. Joseph and Mary had the exact same lineage, the very same genealogy. They were, in fact, distant cousins. God is in the deep. So you might be able to speculate on whether Jesus was of the blood of Joseph in that bloodline, but he was certainly of the blood of Jesus in Mary's bloodline. So his only human parent was also descended from David. Slide number nine. From Luke chapter one, verse 26. God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. I had a, uh, when I was working at Davis Monthan, I had a uh, electrical foreman who came to me and uh, he knew I was a, pastor and he said and and he was very respectful in his question he said right can you tell me what's the difference between Catholics and Protestants and I said the main difference my friend is that we do not believe that Mary is divine I said in fact in our scriptures as a matter of fact in your scriptures it simply says, greetings, favored woman. Nowhere in scripture is Mary called divine. And I said, quite frankly, Mary didn't hang on a cross and die for my sins. So therefore, I will not pray to her. She is to be respected. She is to be revered because she was the mother of God. Yes, I agree. But she didn't die for my sins, and therefore I will not pray to her. He seemed to be satisfied with that answer. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. No one can fulfill that prophecy from Second Sam other than Jesus Christ. If you question Jesus' genealogy as recorded in the scripture, you're forced to answer the following questions. How could Jesus be perfect and sinless 
if he were born of Joseph. Scripture's quite clear in the Psalms. We are born, we are conceived in sin. How could Jesus truly be God and man other than by a virgin birth? The Jews of Jesus' day believed birthright and genealogy were their salvation. Matthew records that even the best pedigree was flawed with Gentiles, incest, harlots, and murderers. Only the divine can save that which it created. Our Savior had to be flesh, had to feel our sin, had to feel our pain, had to feel our disease and our suffering. He had to be one of us, but the best of us, wrapped in flesh. Divinity wrapped in flesh. For Messiah to be perfectly sinless, he had to be born of God. He had to be all God and all man. Prophecies concerning Messiah had to be fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled over 300, some count as high as 450 prophecies concerning Messiah. So let's look at the scientific proof that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Show us slide number 10, if you would, please. Considering only 50, major prophecies Messiah had to fulfill. Look at these odds. That Messiah, one person, would fulfill all 15. Number one, had to be a descendant of Abraham, one in a thousand. Had to be the son of David, one in 100 million. Born in Bethlehem, one in 100,000, preceded by a messenger like Elijah, one in 100 million, a prophet like Moses, one in 100 million. His ministry would begin in Galilee, one in 100,000. He would perform miracles, one in 100 million. Enter Jerusalem on a donkey, one in 100. Have a great zeal for the temple. One in 100. Would suddenly appear in the temple. One in 100. Would be betrayed by a friend. One in 1,000. Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. One in 100,000. Would die a violent death. One in 10,000. Would be a sin offering. One in 100 million would rise from the dead. One in 100 million. The odds of fulfilling all 15 of these prophecies as one person is 1 in 10 to the 80th power. Brace yourself. In science... We determine that something is scientifically impossible if the odds are 1 in 10 to the 50th power. But 1 in 10 to the 80th power, 80 zeros, 80 zeros. 
1 in 10 to the 80th power. God is in the details. After the destruction of the temple in AD 70 and the subsequent dispersion of the Jews to virtually every nation on earth, bloodlines and pedigrees were lost. Therefore, in today's Judaism, the mother's lineage is all important. Thus, the old Yiddish proverb, you may not know who the father is, but you always know who the mother is. So any way you care to look at Jesus' genealogy, he is Messiah. Legally, physically, spiritually, prophetically, even scientifically. Alistair Begg again. For the skeptic, no proof is possible. For the believer, no proof is necessary. Let us pray. Father God, we believe your word. We believe faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by your word. We praise you and thank you that you sent your word to live among us, to pitch his tent among us, to move into our neighborhood to shine his glory on us and then die a cruel death in our stead. We believe, Father, in the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus. We believe and therefore we need no proof, but we thank you for providing it to us anyway. We thank you for the way, the truth, and the life and for the fact that he lives in our hearts hearts and will continue to do so now and forever. We offer our praise and thanks to you, Father, in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Blessings to you all.